Welcome to the Florida Specifier Podcast. We're thrilled to be with you today. I'm Ryan Matthews, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brett Cyphers. If you like what you hear, and we sure hope that you do, and want to support the show, please be sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Florida Specifier online at floridaspecifier.com. The Specifier and its website are improving by leaps and bounds, so go check it out and follow along with the future changes. The subscriptions and ratings truly make a difference, and we think you'll enjoy all the ways you can read, watch, listen, and learn right at your fingertips. We can't thank you enough for the support. So, Brett, what's going on today, my friend? Well, as you know, the committee week is in full swing. A special session is going on. And you and I are not in the Capitol at the moment, which is nice. What I'm really happy about is talking about the conversation that we're having today. As you know, because you also live in Northwest Florida, as I have, that about five years ago, almost exactly, I think a few weeks ago, we had ourselves a little bit of a, a little bit of a hurricane. And at this point, almost everyone who's lived in Florida, I would say for what, five, 10 years now at this point, has felt a direct impact hurricanes and tropical storms have on families, communities, certainly this one. But there is something about Hurricane Michael for me that kind of left an indelible mark. It was devastating. You can still see the scars to this day. I mean, driving down State Road 20, Highway 71, which runs north and south, 231, 77, even on the interstate when you drive through, you can still see the magnitude of that storm there. And I think it's required a rewriting of the book when it comes to disaster response. Because you look at phone service, flooding, tree loss, storm surge at astronomical levels, which we've also seen pretty recently as well down south, and retirements in form of destroyed forest, which is something I never thought that you would see, which is miles and miles deep into the panhandle where folks had relied on stretches of forest, small forest, that were destroyed. I think it's interesting the the complex web of governmental agencies and programs that are are meant to help communities during disaster recovery proved pretty daunting during this exercise. I mean, nearly to the point of paralysis in some communities. I do have to give, and I think all Floridians would give the DeSantis administration a lot of credit for the way that they immediately got multiple agencies to have boots on the ground. DEM really sort of proved its mettle in the new administration by just having all resources available to Northwest Floridians. But you're right. I mean, folks that have lived here for decades, you know, it's interesting the way that uh, hurricane tracking has evolved. I mean, for me, I have young kids. Um, I know you got children too. There is this this odd feeling as you know a storm is approaching. And we've had a couple of instances you know, this hurricane season, last hurricane season, where Tallahassee was going to be a direct hit, and then because of one wobble here or there, we, we got far less impact than we would. But to your point, all Floridians have that sort of pit in their stomach feeling when they see that giant storm out in the Gulf or the Atlantic that's coming right for them. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and no doubt about the administration's response to it. It's a no-win situation. You're either really, really good at it as an administration, or you've completely failed. And I'd say, you know, the, you know, certainly the DeSantis administration, but also, you know, as far back as I remember, going back to Jeb Bush, is folks are good at it. But at the district, it's kind of learning in the aftermath, like on the fly of what are we supposed to do next? 
you know, it's a huge daunting exercise. It absolutely is. And to your point, I think we have expectations as Floridians that we are resilient, that we are prepared, no matter the size of the storm, category three, four, or even five, the general populace expects their power to be back on within 48 hours. You know, I represent a lot of, of utilities, municipal electric utilities. And so what they will do is, is enter into mutual aid agreements. So we'll have utility linemen from Louisiana, Nebraska, Colorado, Indiana, North Carolina, Georgia, when a storm is approaching, simply to get the sheer volume of resources in this state so that we can put power back on as quickly as possible. But our expectations as Floridians is no matter the size of the storm, we're going to bounce back and we're going to do it quickly. Yeah. That's why I'm looking forward to hearing from these experts because I, you know, learning on the fly, figuring out what you're supposed to do next. It's good to talk to somebody who's got it down to a science. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And by now, who folks who read the newspaper and listen to this podcast will be familiar with the idea of, of One Water. We've had an article on the subject uh, from Robert Beltran, and we've already had conversations with two of his colleagues at Dewberry, both Amy Tracy and Lisa Kelly. Today, we're back with Dewberry to talk disaster recovery with Stephanie Marsh and Trevor Noble. Stephanie is a project manager in disaster recovery services at Dewberry. She has 30 years of experience with FEMA programs, and she deploys her wealth of experience to represent state, local, and tribal governments, as well as private nonprofits to navigate the maze that is disaster recovery grant programs. And Trevor is a senior project manager with a lengthy background in emergency response, utility planning, and municipal public works. With his expertise in water and wastewater utility runs deep, he was the director of public works for the city of Callaway and the assistant utility services director for Bay County. He was also a program administrator for Florida Source and Drinking Water Programs at FDEP. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Good to be with you. Before we get into the topic at hand, tell us a little bit about yourself and how your interest and expertise turned to disaster recovery. It's such an interesting topic. Stephanie, why don't we have you go first? All right. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Ryan, for having us on the call today. Really appreciate it. I, I find this, this work so rewarding. I mean, we've been in the disaster recovery field or some of these along similar lines in my current company for a long time. And I am the program manager for our downstream, so not working necessarily on the federal side, but supporting all of the state, local, and other organizations who apply to these programs across the United States. So whereas you see a lot of disasters in Florida, I also interface with the disasters that happen in California, New Mexico, and across the rest of the U.S. Currently, we're supporting actually nine open disasters right now, including the devastation going on in Maui with the fires there. So as a company, we see a lot of different types of disasters, see a lot of the different impacts that disasters have on local communities, and most importantly, gather information on how communities can not only come back, but come back better than they were. So we may take ideas that we've seen go on in New Mexico or Minnesota or Missouri and maybe see if any of those concepts work here in Florida for something that may not have been tried for a certain type of disaster or find some ways to make you resistant or help with recovery for multiple disasters. Absolutely. And for Floridians, it's, it's a little tough not to be myopic and just focus on hurricanes since that's what we have so much of. But yeah, you bring yeah, up Maui. Fires are a big thing. Yeah. My goodness, on the West Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Trevor, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks again for having us on, on the call. It's a very important topic and we definitely appreciate the opportunity to discuss. My experience basically came from working in the 
public sector with the city of Callaway as a public works director and then the assistant utility director at, at Bay County and even at DEP being the program administrator for the source and drinking water program, kind of working in those arenas kind of by default, you have to learn and have to prepare as being a city, you know, you have to come up with response plans. You have to make sure your insurance documents are all set. You need to make sure that you have the right equipment. So I've kind of just fell into it. And then when you get hit by Hurricane Michael, you really learn by trial of fire. And fortunately, we had great leadership at the county, county manager, assistant county manager, all the way down to all the other departments. So it made the job a lot easier, extremely organized. But yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it. It's just by fire and turned out that I really like it. And like Stephanie said, it is extremely rewarding. It's a rewarding enough to where once we got Bay County kind of back up on their feet and either had most of the projects under construction or under contract or applications in for the uh, resiliency and, and mitigation, when we were approached to help out with the housing replacement and repair program, that's funded by HUD through Dewberry. We were very excited to, to be a part of that and to continue our help with the community and, and help the low to moderate income folks get back in their houses. So that was really interesting and, and real rewarding. It's kind of where my career's kind of gone is into the disaster response. Let me stick with you for just a second, Trevor, on that. And I want to go a little bit further back and be impressed by the way the communities, both in Bay County as well as Gulf County, and even the ones that are, you know, interior to you, Washington, Jackson, Calhoun, and Liberty. It was really cool to see. But take me to the initial point, the the beginning of the impacts after the storm, because I want to get to the things that you're doing and Stephanie are doing now to help people recover. But I'm thinking back to most directly post Michael, I'm looking at Lighthouse Utilities, which is a private utility in Gulf County, destroyed. There were no gas stations that survived the storm in Port St. Joe. There was no cell phone. As, and that was a, a big topic of consternation was the response by the cell phone companies. No internet connection. Talk about just that initial period because you were there. What happened? What you saw and then what's step one when you're trying to figure out what to do next? Yeah, thanks for the question. It's an important question. And just to put it into perspective, the utility, Bay County Utility is responsible for pretty much all water within the county. So we had seven municipalities and an Air Force base that depended on Bay County to provide them potable water. We have a seven million gallon a day advanced wastewater treatment plant that serves Callaway, Parker, Springfield, Tyndall Air Force Base, Mexico Beach, Bay County Unincorporated. And then we had another wastewater plant, 1.5 million gallon a day sequential batch reactor plant in Southport. When you put it into perspective, that responsibility is not just your utility customers that you're responsible for. You're responsible for all the municipalities. So it was pretty daunting. It was fairly overwhelming. And it, it's very easy to be overwhelmed. But what you have to do is just step back and be proud of small victories. So like the day the storm hit, like you said, we didn't have any communication. We didn't have any internet. We didn't have computers. We didn't have anything. So you know, you're pretty much left in the dark. And before we get into the utility side of things, you know, your immediate thought is to staff. Your immediate thought is to family, things like that. So so without saying any more about that, because there's a lot of effort that goes into ensuring that those folks are good and safe and okay. But from a utility standpoint, 
we lost all pressure in our distribution system and we lost our raw water pumping stations. We lost our 7 million gallon a day AWT advanced wastewater plant. We had the bar screen jamming up the headworks and it was getting ready to overflow and we had a helicopter operators and INC and maintenance folks out there with jaws of life and a whole bunch of tools. So there is a lot that goes on in that in that initial, but you really just have to rely on the support that DEM provides. You, you really have to just trust in your planning that you have, your disaster response plans. It's so vital to have that information not only available to you, but you go through it with your staff. Every June 1st, we would make that available to staff and they would have to read it and sign it and we would have drills on it. And so if you do that kind of stuff, when you get hit, you're not so deer in a headlights type situation. You kind of, okay, it hit us. We know what's going on. Now it's time to get to work. And you just bite down on your mouthpiece and you get to work. And that doesn't change. It's 20 hours a day for 10, 15, 18 days of just trying to figure out what the next step is. And a lot of it, is done on the front end. You have to do a lot of that work on the front end for it to be successful. Well, and Stephanie, it seems like we're always fighting the last storm in Florida and and learning along the way. What do you think we know now that would have put us in a position to recover faster after Michael that you, Dewberry, has employed in more recent storm or other natural disaster events? That is a great question. I think Trevor hit on a couple of those key parts is taking those lessons learned as an after-action report and after action planning to be prepared. So you never want to plan for the entire failure of your entire system, but as you've seen with Michael, it happens. You know, there's there's no way around it. And it could happen again. There's just because it happened once doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. But when we come back in with these after action reports, we try and talk to people about what were the hot buttons, what were the things that really got stuck along the way? Where did you find that you just couldn't move forward or were the most frustrating pain points and then figuring out a way to plan around those so we can afford getting stuck in the future, especially when you're dealing with organizations where maybe that was their very first disaster experience. You know, when you've got something so devastating as Michael that came in and then you suddenly got the bureaucracy of paperwork, state governments, and the federal government coming in, it's quite daunting and overwhelming. But once you've been through it once, as Trevor's been on that side, And Dubray has been, just so you know, we have been FEMA, we have been the state, and we have been your local organization as representatives. So our job is to see it from all the different sides and figure out where we can get in there and get you back into recovery as soon as possible and, and building back along the way. I was at the Northwest Florida Water Management District for 10 years, and we had not experienced an event like that. There have been some significant rain events that cause significant flooding, especially out west and in some of the the spring areas, but nothing like Michael. And so at the business end of that storm, there were points when we had acreage that we couldn't access to know how much something was damaged, to what extent it was, to be even to give an idea to those agencies that you're talking about what to do next in terms of helping that recovery. And sometimes it lasted, you know, three weeks or a month. But if we had known earlier, we could have deployed, you know, drones that folks use to look out over places that you can't access and and look at those things. And so when you're looking at those relationships between whether it be the water management district and federal agencies and others after the storm, you know, and, and there's 
really smart folks like you trying to figure out how to turn, you know, the knobs in the right way to get, you know, FEMA and others to be part of the solution. With your experience you have working with them, what can you share about that process, both, you know, in those days and weeks after the storm and beyond to help these communities access those I mean, really vital resources? You know, and it was. And there were a lot of decision points where we would miss something and it caused some downstream impacts, metaphorically speaking, in yep. the, the, the following months. How can you help them deal with those issues and then stay in compliance when you do uh, get the help that comes? Yep. One of the first things to think about is with FEMA, FEMA is supposed to be the program of last resort because it is so challenging and so bureaucratic to go through. Your first option is always insurance. Insurance, you can get insurance for a lot of things that you don't think normally you can get insurance for. I've seen roads insured. I've seen the debris being collected and insured. I've seen, you know, the emergency response part also being insured because insurance pays quickly. Uh, The uh, next item is know your assets and have clear documentation of what the state of your assets were and what the type of assets you have for the storm. So, for example, if, if I ask you to describe all the items that are in your living room right now, just from memory, could you do it? I know I couldn't. <laughs> and that's what you need to be able to have from all of your facilities and operations people because they're going to go out there and so FEMA's going to come by and go, what was damaged? And be like, well, uh, I can't remember everything that was in that shed, but there was a pump and there was some electrical stuff. But if you have those details at hand, well documented for what's going to be happening before, then it's easy to pull them up and say, this is what was damaged. This is what we had in there. Um, we need to replace these, and we'd like to come up with a way to make these better. <clears throat> so if your electrical got flooded out because it's been too low and you want to elevate it, what a great time to come in there and try and make some of those fixes or to upsize your pumps or to upsize and solidify the culverts that are allowing you access to the roads, maybe change them from instead of low water crossings to something that's going to get you out to where you need to go. So having that pre-planning, that asset inventory, knowing what's out there, knowing the condition of what you have so that when it gets destroyed by the storm, you can go and put your hands on that information, show it to whomever, then they can plan for your recovery a lot better. It's the people that are searching for, you know, their insurance documents and all that, that were totally destroyed in your office because your office got wiped out. (laughs) And they're trying to put hands on all those contracts and all that stuff. That's where some of these big delays come in and really leads to funds being declined or taken back worst case scenario, because you just didn't have that simple piece of paperwork that you could have kept off site in a data storage area up in the cloud at a secure location, but a full accounting of what your utility or your facility's assets are. Is that part of the process? I know Dewberry as an engineering firm. It's like, but is that part of your process when you're working with, I know y'all work with lots of communities in Northwest Florida. Is that part of your process is walking people through how to prepare for the event that will inevitably come? We absolutely plan for long-term recovery. And that's part of the step is talking with you to see how much you want to do. As Trevor mentioned, gathering that drone footage for during times when, you know, it's blue sky. So you can get that baseline of where everything is, knowing your detention basins or retention basins, knowing that you've cleaned out the sediment, keeping all those maintenance records. But not only that, but working with you to figure out in your cost accounting system, which is where you work with these federal governments. They want you to pull all your payroll and your accounting and make sure it's all documented and organized to a specific cost center so that you can pull it up and say, these are only the costs we have for the disaster. If you're audited, working with you behind the scenes on those some of those back office 
things to design them for easy reporting or better reporting to make it easier for these programs to show where you've got the money spent and can get money recovered from the time that you've spent recovering from this disaster. But we absolutely do long-range planning um, if added to, as well as that asset management and asset documentation. So, and, and you hit on, Stephanie, sort of the, the federal clawback from FEMA, which I know is everybody's sort of yeah. nightmare scenario, especially if yep. it comes three, four, five years post-disbursement uh, yep. from, from a federal agency. But Trevor, if we've looked back, you know, on the five years since since Michael, how would you judge the state's progress to this point? I mean, where are our vulnerabilities left? I think because of institutes like Dewberry, we have helped folks with asset management planning. We're identifying those assets. We're identifying the upkeep of assets. What are our vulnerabilities? Uh, I mean, what have we learned and where do we go from here? That's a great question. And just to reiterate, yeah, asset management, management is absolutely key because you have the condition assessments prior to the storm, but then after the storm, it's just as important to have consultant come in and do a post-storm analysis because then that gives FEMA, that gives the insurance companies, that gives all the people down the road that are going to be looking at that and determining whether that is a justifiable expense to reimburse or to repair. You have those two documents that juxtapose each other. So that is extremely important. As far as hardening, we realize that at our pumping stations, you know, switch gears, power backup, making sure that any of your aerial crossings for your water lines, a lot of those, I think Bay County, they've got one aerial left, that's DuPont, and that's going to be a subaqueous bore. That's the challenge with Bay County is that you've got bridges all around you. So you have to be prepared to have equipment on either side of that bridge, just in case that bridge goes down, you got to have staff over there, you've got to have equipment, you got to have parts, things like that. And, and that's another great thing about the asset management and how vital it really is, because not only will it tell you what your assets are, but it helps you then develop the schedule of values for your insurance. And insurance is the I know Steffi said it's quick, but from my experience, that's really the challenging part is getting the insurance folks in there, getting the damage assessors in there, making sure that they're in line. And that's why we stress so hard that insurance is very key to have that buttoned up on the front end. And it all ties in asset management, post-storm assessments. Well, I'm interested just because you all live this and breathe it every day. I think Brett and I focus mostly, obviously, on, on the Florida legislature and things that are happening politically here. For our listeners who have been paying attention to D.C. for the last couple months, things have been a little bit chaotic, if you will, and particularly when it comes to funding a federal budget kind of gone through the practice of funding a budget through CRs over and over and over. And that has to have an impact on disaster recovery and FEMA's budget. And so we've got, you know, numerous natural disasters that occur over the United States. The frequency seems to be a little bit elevated as of recent. What are you all seeing from, you know, a FEMA resource perspective in the work that you do? So FEMA recently went through what's known as an immediate needs funding hold And that happened from August to October, and that was in place so that they could make sure they had the disaster recovery funding available for Maui, as you saw in several of the other disasters that were ongoing. So they put holds on obligating other grants that they fund across the United States, such as the Hazard Mitigation Grant Program or the Infrastructure Grant Program. They were just put on hold temporarily so they could be sure that they had those funds available. Since then, it's been lifted. 
And so now they're able to continue to go through some of those funding cycles and free up those money for other grant programs in addition to disaster recovery. But disaster recovery is funded under the Stafford Act, and it is its own disaster funds regardless of what's going on with the rest of the federal budget. So that's something to know if you do have a disaster, see things like government shutdown or whatever, disaster funding is its own unique pot of funds and will continue to be so so that you can recover when a disaster hits. One last question for you, Trevor, just as a Northwest Florida homer, is Bay County, is Callaway, is Tyndall Air Force, are are they ready for the next Michael? Oh, well, I can't speak for Callaway or or the other municipalities, but I can tell you from the Bay County utility perspective or just Bay County in general, absolutely. One, they understand what it takes because, I mean, right after the storm hit, you have to one, assess what works and what doesn't work, right? And so that is a process that they've gone through. So they know exactly where to go, what to do, how to do it. They're storm tested is what we would like to say. But from a structure standpoint or what what was done to rebuild, all operation centers for the plants were basically demolished. The roofs caved in and they were all rebuilt to Miami-Dade code. They're built back with impact windows structure can withstand 184 mile per hour winds because we had the responsibility of providing that potable water to the entire county is not just the citizens that they have or their customer base and same thing with the awt plan out on tyndall that all was pretty much redone to miami-dade code so in vulnerabilities and panel locations they were relocated into a cinder block structure hardened structures over the uv system that took catastrophic damage. So yes, everything that was done from a county perspective has been built or built back stronger and should be able to handle. Now, the caveat is Michael was a windstorm. Now, what happens if Michael for Bay County, it was a windstorm, not from Mexico Beach, obviously, but what happens if now Bay County experiences the storm surge side or or we get heavy rain? Um, That's the unique thing about hurricanes is Stephanie can can probably allude to as well is you've got heavy rainfall, then you got flooding, storm surge, you got wind, different aspects, different hurricanes have different um, challenges. But yeah, no, I feel fairly confident, extremely confident actually in, in Bay County Utilities and where they're at and what they've done since we've left. That's great. I just want to add that communities or organizations should know they don't have to do it alone, but they are in charge of their recovery. You know, there's all these federal organizations, state organizations that are pushing and pulling you but you are in charge and you can drive how you want your recovery to be. A lot of times the ones that do get consultants to help them, it's there to help them focus, make sure the recovery moves at the pace they want to move, knowing you're not rushing through, missing things, jumping ahead, but making sure that recovery process takes into all the aspects of what's recovered. So in talking to Trevor, for example, sometimes the things that get missed are the things that you can't see right away that may have a delayed impact. So some of your electrical systems, your underground piping, that you need to do some of that engineering testing on to demonstrate that they were damaged, but it's not visible from the surface. Those are things you have to stop and take time and just know that as an organization, you can ask for that time. You can slow down the process and make sure you're getting the response you need for recovery and when you're building back. And that's why it's so important for that post-storm assessment, because you do smoke testing, you do a lot of different infrastructure testing, you can do all those things at that time. So the post-storm assessment is is key, and it's key to have done 
pretty quickly because you don't want to start doing a whole bunch of temporary repairs and then they can't really assess. So post-storm assessment's absolutely vital. And always opt in for mitigation. Yeah, I'd say always opt in. If they ask you if you want to somehow build it back better, but you don't have something in your mind, say yes. Absolutely. Because you can, you can figure it out later. <laughs> There's also ways if you need to add in upgrades to engineering codes and standards, potentially ADA things that may not have been implemented originally the first time. These programs can be worked to allow those to be added into your recovery. So again, we're working on not only recovering, but taking that pause to make sure you're recovering back the way you want to recover. That's tremendous insight. If folks want to get in touch with one or both of you, how, how should they do that? Well, they can get a hold of Trevor Noble, me, Trevor, at tnoble at dewberry.com. My phone number is 850-441-2734. Absolutely. We go through our local offices, so we don't tread on anybody's toes here at the national and corporate level. So <laughs> I'm all for uh, having Trevor be the point of contact for any questions. Well, Stephanie Marsh and Trevor Noble, thank you so much for the work you do for our communities here in Florida and across the nation. And thanks so much for sharing some time with us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. That's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Florida Specifier podcast. Production of this podcast is by Carl Soren and Dave Barfield at Lonely Fox Studios. A special thank you goes out to Bagels and Biscuits, who are kind enough to let us use their music for the show. Check them out wherever you get your music. And if you have an idea for an article for the specifier or topic for this podcast, please be sure to let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time as we continue to delve into the issues, policy, and people that environmental professionals and policymakers want to know about. And that's it. For Brett Cyphers, I'm Ryan Matthews. We'll see you next time.